Welcome to the Inspired Wild Podcast. I am your host, Trevin Stoltzfus, and I am in the wintry wonderland of Wyoming. Tomorrow it's going to be winterly, wintry wonderland here. It's supposed to snow tomorrow. Yeah, I think we got it done on the right at the right time. Right. I mean, we are we are pushing it, but let's take it back, Taylor. Yes. This is your first. What should we call this podcast? This should be something like trial by fire or oh, it was definitely camera, trial by fire cameraman thrown in the mix and almost drowns i mean we could we could call this a lot of different <laughs> things for you being your first um hunt where you're running camera for us yeah but i want to take it back even further mm-hmm. let's let's talk about how we met Let's let's go back um, to the beginning of our relationship and how you even got on this hunt. Yeah, so um, was it a couple months ago? Uh, American, no, not American Bowman. Uh, Golden High Country. No, it was American Bowman, wasn't it? First, Golden, because we uh, we did that big shoot. Remember? Were you there? Yeah, I was. I was in the group behind you with Frank, oh, Tomas. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. So we we our paths crossed then. Yeah. Right. And then uh, and then my buddy Tomas, who was shooting there, uh, he had you know messaged you on Instagram, and uh, you were telling him that you're you know you're always looking for field producers, and he had mentioned my name, and I had talked to him. I think right after he had messaged you and I got right on the phone and hit you up on, on IG. <clears throat> and cause this is something I want to do. Uh, I love being out, love, love hunting, even though I've only been doing it for a few years, it, it has become a passion, um, which, you know, kind of what we were talking about on the ride up here. Um, and, uh, you said you needed field producers and we uh, we connected at American Bowman, which was the Tradbow uh, Compound Archery Tournament put on by Gladiators Unleashed and we got we got we got to do a shout out to Luke Cadillo, yeah, our little buddy Luke. I mean, if you guys aren't listening to Gladiators Unfiltered, you're wearing a shirt, yeah, yeah. If you're not listening to that, well, first of all, let me throw throw a caveat in there. I have I put on a, a G-rated podcast. <laughs> there, uh, Luke's podcast is not G-rated. It is R-rated. So just be aware of that. But if you want to laugh till your cheeks and your stomach hurts, um, it's 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 definitely worth a listen. Um, Luke, I have become good friends with luke Mm -hmm. over the past uh, we've known each other for a while but we've actually spent some time actually uh he's one of those guys that that i enjoy spending time with he's funny um he's 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 up for anything i mean he is he is he will try anything and then on top of that he's not in any way arrogant to where He's concerned with what people think. I love it. You know, he goes and shoots against Aaron Snyder. All the time. And Aaron is a shooter. I don't care if it's trad bow. I don't care if it's uh, a compound bow, right? And so here Luke is putting up money. 
And yeah, Aaron will spot him a couple of points. But it never, Aaron, that friggin' Aaron Schneider, I love the guy. But it's, every time he makes a bet, he's probably 90% sure he's going to win it. Oh, for sure. And Luke, he is just, you know, I mean, a former UFC fighter uh, is one of uh, Justin Gaethje's coaches. coaches. Yep. I mean, uh, he's got a pedigree a mile long and has been bow hunting for a while and um is just passionate about the outdoors so that's my uh shout out to luke my little buddy luke i love spending time with him i i could can you see him on this hunt wouldn't that be a frigging blast oh him out here uh at split rock would be i think i think everybody would have a blast yeah a blast guiding him yeah a blast just sitting glass i would guide him because i don't know that i could (laughs) i don't know that i i would put someone uh yeah anyway so um we might have to see if we can't work that out next year i think it'd be a hoot to bring him out here to this um anyway so shout out to luke um but that's how i met taylor yeah and so we started talking back and forth you came Mm -hmm. up to the office we sat down i said hey you know where are you on cameras because at outback outdoors we've been doing this a while and we have a style that I like to, I don't know if it's correct, but I like to, in my own little mind, I, I equate it with a cinematic adventure. That's what I'm trying to portray. I want to take you with me. I want to engage your emotions of the moment. You can f- kind of get a feel of what I'm feeling, but you're not tired, you're not cold, you're not wet. You know, all the conditions that you encounter when you're, you know, uh, in, in this situation on this hunt, hot. Super hot. I mean, it was, it was. Uh, you know, we came up here, when did we get here? Thursday. Yeah, Thursday evening. Right. Early Thursday evening. And it was 85 degrees when we got here, and it was in the evening. Mm-hmm. Then... The last three days have been in the 90s, 92, 94. Today it was 90 again. Hot, which um, when you're hunting deer, and you can, in in Wyoming, when you draw the tag, you can hunt both mule deer and whitetail. And I have an elk tag. And there was actually some elk. We, we We were seeing some elk. I think there was a little bit more than some. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Let's let's not give it away. But let's let's set the scene. If you've listened to the podcast before, everybody's f- pretty familiar with our Wyoming hunts here on the Split Rock. You know, the Split Rock is a true cattle ranch, um, and they also have some farming here. There's four pivots. They're not actually all running right now because it's been so dry they pump out of the sweet water but if they started pumping uh the the pivot uh, sprinklers right now they would suck the whole creek dry so they're not running any pivots so what normally is a true oasis it still is uh pivots one have some some green some alfalfa Pivots two and three have quite a bit more. And then pivot four looks like someone sprayed it with Roundup. Mm-hmm. It's completely dead. But that hasn't had water for quite a while. They've had some problems with uh, the the center pivots. But 
This really is, and I was telling you on the ride over, this is the American Serengeti. Do you understand why I say that now? Oh, it, it definitely is. Because we have seen whitetail. We've seen mule deer. We've seen elk. We've seen one or two antelope. Just a couple. Yeah, probably 500 antelope. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and of course, you know, they have this nice cabin slash lodge. It's, 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 it, we're not roughing it here. No. <laughs> there's there's no Kafaru teepees that we're sleeping in, right? Um, but it's such that I've hunted here with Q. Q's, Q's an outfitter, but Q's also one of my very closest friends. And we came. There was actually Blair and Lisa mm-hmm. from... Um, uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. They yeah. were They were fun. They were fun to have in camp. They were actually here, had been hunting a couple of days. Had had a few opportunities, but when we showed up, we got that first evening, we got a chance to get up on a high spot and do some glassing, and we got to watch them both. Both mm-hmm. of them shot their deer in the same evening, which was awesome. We got to see them do that. Probably about a half hour apart from each yeah, other. Yeah. So th- this ranch sets up where you've got big, big rock bluffs. It's high desert, but across the highway is Green Mountain. Um, it's a unique system in that it has a creek running through it, so you got your willows and stuff that that you would think much more whitetail-ish, I guess. And that is where most of the whitetail uh, live. Um, and then you have these huge sagebrush flats and then on into the rock bluffs, um, cedars and pines, a few pines and jack pines, um, and even a few aspen pockets. Um, and then there's some cottonwood draws. I mean, it's it's like a collision of five ecosystems. It's really unique, isn't yeah. it? And <clears throat> and the rock faces too. I mean, you know, coming from Colorado, it's not hills full of pines and spruces. I mean, it is. It's it's something spectacular. You know, to to see, uh, I mean, they're not really mountains. I mean, you could call, I, they are mountains, but, uh, I mean, I'll call them rock formations. Yes, I think that's a good way. It's almost like ridges, yeah. rock ridges. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not something like you're going to go and, um, oh, I'm going to go to the top of that one. Well, a lot of times you're going to need ropes. Mm-hmm. And actually, people do come out here and do a lot of rock climbing. Um, so it's kind of unique in, in that regards. It's, uh, I mean, there's fly fishing on the sweet rock. Anyway, I, I'm painting this picture. The Oregon Trail, and I didn't take you this here, but the Oregon Trail, the Mormon Trail, and the Pony Express all came through this ranch. There's actually monuments that show where the Oregon Trail came through. There's a monument that shows where the Mormon Trail came through. And then you saw we did that stock on that buck by the pony. That was the old Pony Express, stock. right? So it's pr- it's pretty unique. Um, but Tanner Tanner Vernon um, was meeting us up here. He had been actually helping a buddy who drew a unit ten elk tag in Colorado, and uh, which is not a good thing for a guy to be on a hunt than for him to come up here because he's been looking at bulls that are. You know, Unit 10 is one of the top Mm -hmm. elk units in Colorado. And then he comes here. And, you know, the the bulls here can get big. I killed a big bull in 
2014 over on Green Mountain. Uh, killed a real nice one. But, um, you know, they kill some fives, some sixes, you know, 280, 300 class bulls. Um, and, but there are some real big bulls that will come in later in the season. And since I had a deer tag and an elk tag, um, it really was... I, I think I wanted to concentrate on elk if the elk were here. Because my daughter also drew a deer tag, and we're going to come back and hunt deer with rifle with her. So if I didn't get a chance to kill a deer, you know, I was okay with that. Because I was going to be able to come back and hunt with my daughter. Um, so I really wanted to concentrate on, on elk. So that first evening, we are sitting up there. We're watching Blair and Lisa and, and of course, Neil is, uh, Neil Stevenson is, is guiding them. And we, we're self-guided. We're, we're here. We're, we don't need, I don't need a guide because I've, I've been here so much. Mm. I know the country. I've hunted, you know, all over. Um, and, uh, which is freeze queue up. He doesn't have to have a guide here. So when Neil was able to help Blair and, and, and Lisa, killed he was actually able to go home um and we got to spend a little more time with them before they headed out but we're sitting on the, on this knob that, that we call vultures knob which mm. is you can see just a ton of country and we're watching some really good whitetails a few decent mule deer but then we look over and there is a passel of elk what did we figure 120 somewhere around there yeah and um there was probably three bulls in there at the time, two, and a bunch of spikes, two two raghorn fives, and then a pretty decent five point bull. I would have been. Uh, he's uh, he's actually a six. Let me just be that. I, I let that know there is a he had a little six there, so he's a six by five. And um, Tanner tried to argue with me, but he was <laughs> he was wrong. He was wrong. That's okay. Um, so that was kind of exciting because now here we are, going into this hunt. And there's elk on the on uh, on the place, and Q has such a knowledge of how they move. Um, of course, they're still wild, right? Very wild. So they come in, and it's just they run in as it's getting dark, and you can see them coming in, and and they come into the pivot, and they're uh, all night. You know, you can go out on the back porch. And you can hear a bull bugle, or you can hear a cow mew, or, or whatever. It's kind of neat. But the next morning, our plan was to get up and hit Vulture's Knob. And then that's going to tell us, okay, what deer are in there, where are the elk going, how can we hunt them. Um, we don't just go out and, and, and start hunting, because we're trying to pattern deer. And it took us probably a full day before we really got a feel of, hey, where do we need to be concentrating mm. on these deer? <clears throat> and Tanner, let's let's just bring Tanner into this thing. Tanner's not here, by the way. He had to leave early because he's actually guiding um, outside of Silt, Colorado. Uh, he had already planned to guide, and, and then I had asked him to come along and kind of help bring you into the loop of the way we do things. Yeah, having him here for the first couple of days um, was, uh, I'd say, was a godsend uh, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, again, being my first uh, 
you know, first big hunt, uh, filming and being behind the camera. Um, obviously there's some nerves there. Uh, but, um, having a guy like Tanner who, uh, is very comfortable behind the camera, also very comfortable in, uh, the hunting situation itself, which, uh, can be stressful. Um, you know, a little bit of anxiety, uh, the adrenaline's definitely going, uh, when you, when you, when you watch, uh, Tanner during those situations, he is very calm. Uh, he definitely knows what he's doing. Um, he's got eyes like a hawk, uh, which amazed me. Um, but with that and, you know, just being here with, with you and Tanner, who are very experienced guys in, in this industry and in the field, um, you know, in a sense, put the pressure on me, but I liked it because it made me step up. It made me step up to the plate and really try to meet those expectations. And and, and the interesting thing is you have an experience. You have experience. Let, let's talk about what, where your experience, why you're even here, mm-hmm. is because you have experience. You started um, photography primarily, um, and you actually were are, and still do photograph um, real estate. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's when you started playing with cameras, then you got into hunting and then the idea of, of like you filming, taking photos and filming for American Bowman and some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the opportunity to then say, Hey, this is, this is something that I'm doing here. I can, it's applicable and it's something I can expand on to tell my adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and I had this conversation. The reason I do Outback Outdoors, my whole reason is because I'm an adventure junkie. And I want to share my adventures. Um, so with that, I knew, and we, we talked about this, you had a basic knowledge of cameras. I get people all the time, hey, I want to come film for you. Okay, well, what do you know about cameras? Well, I can learn. Okay, and, and that's true. I mean, Tanner didn't know anything about cameras when he started with us, but it takes a special person. So for me to have someone like you come on that has a basic knowledge of cameras and is hunting, even though you're new to hunting, you're getting into hunting and you're understanding, okay, when can I move? In a hunting situation, you can move at certain times. But you have to be able to read body language. And when I mean body language, I'm talking about the animal's body language. Mm-hmm. Um, the other night, and we'll talk about this here in a second, but that that first encounter, you could have possibly moved just a little bit slowly and probably gotten uh, away with it versus freezing and then you're not filming. And, you know, so understanding how to read an animal, just like understanding when you're hunting, when can you draw your bow? If an animal steps out and looks at you, that's not the time to draw your bow. You have to be able to get something. Either, you know, you move slow enough into a position where you can draw where they can't see you, or or they look away, or, or, or they move behind some brush, or whatever. Well, it's the same thing filming. If I've got to adjust my camera, a setting maybe maybe I'm too hot and so I need to 
you know, adjust my shutter speed or my f-stop or something to get that camera shot right. I got to get my focus, you know, maybe maybe my focus isn't perfect. Um, so you got to be able to read animal behavior. I think you did really good on this hunt, and I know you felt the pressure, rightfully so, um, but I, I think you handled it well. Um, I don't know how to teach people to do this other than to do it. I've put on camera schools, and what I find from camera schools is I get a lot of people that come in, and they want to learn to run a camera because they think they're going to be able to hunt more. They're going to be able to be in front of the camera. Now they're going to get a chance to showcase who they are. Well, that's not how it works because we've kind of built this whole thing of around what we do, and what I need is guys that can come along and help us tell the story. Not that Tanner, take Tanner for example, Tanner's in front of the camera quite a bit. Because him and I, when we hunt together, we've created such a cohesion that we're bouncing ideas off each other. And we don't always agree, as you saw oh, yeah. on this hunt. We don't always agree. But it's interesting to see his method, he's very successful. But my method, I do okay too. You know, so so it's a, I'm a little more aggressive than he is. Um, but it's nice to be able to bounce ideas off each other. Let's let's take a second here, and uh, I don't want to go down too many rabbit trails, but let's talk through the days. Um, we, we we talked a little bit about getting here and, and you seeing things for the first time. Then we saw those elk came in. Well, the next morning was our first morning to hunt. So we went to Vulture's Knob, back to Vulture's Knob, sat up on there, and we watched. The elk came, or the elk were in the pivot, and they started to leave, and then something buggered them. And um, 120 head turned and ran, and when they, I don't know when they quit running, because five miles away, they were still running. By the I've they had to slow down at at Bonsai, a little bit because Bonsai uh, Bonsai is a a rock formation that comes off of the major bluff, and there is a pass, and they actually went up it. Rather, they could have gone around the end of it. I thought that was interesting. They didn't. Instead, they went up and over it. Mm-hmm. And we tried to get around to see if we could keep eyes on them, which we did. But we watched them until they literally disappeared so far away. We had an idea where they were at, but we weren't sure. And one thing I'm pretty careful about is I don't like to blow animals out. Um, there is a point where you got to be aggressive. And especially in a place like this, where we have four pivots, three, really three this year, that have food. You have water. There's no other water around. A lot of times in years past, there's other creeks and they'll they'll even be water up in the rocks because of the rain or whatever. There's none. The only thing is the creek. And elk are like cattle. They got to water every day. Mule deer, not as much. But they've they've got to water too. But the prime forage, they've got the shelter all around and then water. Those are the, you know, the limiting factors there. So the problem with keying on water here, though, is it's a creek. So where are they going to come to water? They could come to water 10 miles of that creek. Yeah. 
you know, so we so we're not keying on trying to shoot them over, you know, one in between water because we don't know what what that looks like. So what we primarily do is go, okay, we know where the food is. Where are they going to bed, and how can we ambush them? But having Tanner along, as you saw, and you mentioned Eagle Eye Tanner, we'd get up, we'd find some bucks, and we'd bed them down. In theory, that works good in the high country, doesn't it? Yes, it does. When there's one or two bucks, right? Mm -hmm. But here, you bed a buck down. The wind's got to be right. The first day it was hot and hardly a stitch of wind. Oh, I'm. Your wind detector was going straight, straight up, up. Straight because, up the whole day. Yeah. So, for those of you who've ever hunted mule deer, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. If you haven't, wind is your best friend. Now, wind's not your best friend when you're shooting a bow. Because. You know, it's hard to hold a steady and this and that. But here in Wyoming, in order to get even within bow range, you need enough wind that fights the mule deer's natural defense mechanism, which is their hearing. Mm -hmm. So the first day, we bedded some bucks down, but we really didn't have a play. It was too noisy. We couldn't. Is you know everything's so dry, so everything crunches or crackles or whatever, and we couldn't get, we could get within bow range, no way. Um, so we really just kind of backed off after the morning. We knew where some bucks were, and we backed off. We're still trying to figure out where the elk are, where they're going to come back, and we set up. That evening, did, did we do something during the day? Yeah, remember. Um, <clears throat> My days are running together. Is it sand sand draw sand on the draw. other side? Right, right. That's um, right. We went and we went over there because then there was that cow and calf. That's right. Uh, and we took Bessie in, mm -hmm. and that was the first time we we opened up Bessie. So we we had a buck bedded where we where we watched him bed we actually there morning was a couple, bed. his morning bed again let me let me let me explain what what we mean by morning bed mule deer particularly mule deer elk might do this but but for sure mule deer normally the first bed they find is not the bed they're going to be in because the, as the sun moves they move and then that second bed normally is a bed that they will be in for longer periods of time. Well, we sat up there on a, on, a, on another glassing point, really trying to watch the elk, but then we found those mule deer. I think we went to Bonsai, didn't we? We went up to Bonsai Pass, and that's where we glassed yeah. those mule deer and watched them bed. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then we came back for breakfast, and we were hoping... The wind was going to pick up because there wasn't, like I said, a stitch of wind. Well, it didn't really pick up all day. But we went out there, tried to find those bucks in their bed from glassing. They had, in the meantime, had gotten up and moved over. Um, and so, but, but normally when they do move, they don't move very far. 
maybe they move to the next cedar that has better shade with where the sun's at. Sure enough, we did end up finding a few bucks in there. Um, and so we got out the Montana decoy, the Bessie, the, the head-on moo cow, and we moved in. And it was noisy. It was Very. loud. But we were okay with that because we were going to act like a cow moving in. Let's preface that, too, with Tanner was not so thrilled about going and doing that. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Tanner didn't want to do it. I pushed it because I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and not do anything, so let's give it a try. But with no predominant wind, what are you left with? Thermals. And thermals can be swirly. You get a little predominant wind. There was supposedly a five mile per hour, six mile per hour wind. So what happens is when you hit in the high country, if you hit a shady bench where a lot of animals like to bed, then your thermals start to drop because it's shady versus on an open slope, your thermals are rising. So if you have a predominant wind, let's say across that ridge, but yet you have one spot that is cooler than the others, you also have a falling thermal, maybe a little, little, just a little bit, but enough where you have a small predominant wind, it will help swirl. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what we encountered. What we didn't know is, is there was more deer in there. And there was also a cow and a calf, elk, in there. Part of, must have been part of the group that went through, and they must have broke off. We didn't even know they were in there. So we kind of blew that stock, but we had a good time. And we actually had you run the decoy because, well, we need, I, I can't hold a bow and run the decoy, and I'm not going to do one of them. One of the things I do not like is putting anything on my bow that's going to affect my shooting. And there's some decoys out there that you mount on your bow, and I'm just not as accurate. And I, why would you do that? Why would you put yourself – you practice all year. You wait. You draw the tag. You spend the money to go, and then you put something on your bow. Well, Montana decoy, you can hide three guys behind it. Yeah. So – it works perfect, unless they smell you, because you can fool their eyes, and you can fool their ears, but you can't fool their nose. Mm -mm. Adam Adam Wells always always used to say that, and it's so true. And we saw that that come to light. So, as we as we tried to move in on those deer, the the wind was just horrible, horrible, and. It didn't work. So we backed out and we went and sat where I had been texting with Q about where he thought these elk were going to come back. And so we went and sat on a rock outcrop that was a little better. Remember, that's where I ended up. Didn't I cow call there? And that's when that lone cow came out. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, you know, again, no wind, nothing. So I just, just made a few cow calls and this 
elk comes walking up out. And you and I are thinking, well, maybe there's more elk. Mm -hmm. And Tanner had gone up to a higher spot to glass to see if he could see any more elk. Well, they weren't in there. Um, They had actually, Tanner had actually seen, there's a big saddle back behind this, and he was watching elk go up and over, which is away from the pivot, mind you. And we're, what, four, three miles from the pivots now? Yeah. And they're heading away, which didn't make any sense to me. I figured they'd come right back. What we forget is that elk move fast. And by the time the sun set on that day, we worked our way back, made some dinner, or ate some dinner, um... Checked in with Blair and everybody. They were, you know, they were still here. We went out on the back porch. The elk were in the creek right right next to the lodge. Yeah. All of them. And, we could, of course, it's pitch black. And, well, actually, there was some moon, wasn't there? It was, there was yeah, a little moon. Moon was pretty big. You could yeah. see a little bit once, mm-hmm. you, once you were out there for a little bit. We turned off all the lights uh, here in the lodge just so we can get – we don't have uh, – any other light the light pollution when you guys were running time lapses yeah um but that was cool to hear them hear those elk bugling um and in cow calling stuff like that so we went to bed next morning we got up we didn't go to vultures knob we just went on the back porch they were right there Mm -hmm. right there probably you know 800 yards off of from the lodge in the pivot bugling and cow calling and ruckus and we're like all right well well let's see where they go and sure enough they headed right back to the same spot Mm -hmm. but this time they didn't cut up bonsai they just went around and went back again just kept going so that was a bummer because we can't really hunt them when we don't know where they're betting and the, and and with elk particularly we don't want to go in and chase them and bump them because they'll leave mm-hmm. well especially with especially with you eyeing a bull right we had you had probably two that you could choose from but then you have over a hundred cows which means over 200 eyes yeah. you know that are around yeah. those bulls so okay. it it makes it a whole lot harder especially yeah. if, if you do want to get a little bit more aggressive mm-hmm. start walking around it's uh you don't you don't uh you don't have the freedom you know you don't, you don't have freedom to be doing that and we were okay with that because we we were going to play with you know again i have a deer tag and we're seeing some some bucks. We hadn't seen any really good bucks, other than the white tail I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw well, not just me, all of us. We saw some good white tails, and I'm okay with shooting a good Wyoming white tail. But there's not really a place we would need to change our strategy. Probably pop up a blind. Do something like, and that's a lot of time. Whereas for mule deer, we could move around, glass a lot of country, find some bucks, bed them down. And so that's what we did. We found 
the bucks that were on that back uh back on the opposite side of sand draw up against the bluff they were betting in those cedars there so we had what like four bucks on one side and then another two 300 yards down there was a couple others that we saw bed mm-hmm. and then we happened to look back towards the pony express station again just an old you know abandoned log cabins mm-hmm. what it looks like with some corrals and we watched four, I think four or five bucks move out and through the sage. And then literally, we were very lucky at the angle that we were watching, we, we saw them bed down. Mm-hmm. And we could see them. They also, which you'll talk about here probably in a, in a minute or so, but there was also a doe. <clears throat> yes. There was a doe that was out in front of those those five bucks. Uh so that kind of that we, we knew yeah we knew the doe was with the bucks or at least close to right when they all bedded so we we did the same thing um because tanner gets hangry when he gets hungry so we came back and um ate some breakfast and then we were gonna actually go and try and make a play on that four point or that there was a four point in the in the bunch in sand draw, and there was a good, uh, real mature three point that was uh, slick horn already. He wasn't in velvet; he'd already rubbed off. And those were two mature deer that I would have be willing to shoot. Let me just preface this: I don't want to go and shoot a young deer here. Um, I want to shoot a mature deer. And I'm even willing to shoot a management deer as long as he's mature. That's just, I'm okay with that because that's what I want to do. That helps the property. It helps the deer herd um, versus shooting, you know, a two- or three-year-old deer. And there was some young three-year-olds that were four points that are going to be studs if they live a few more years. So, with enough deer, I can I can choose to do that. Um, I'm not being braggadocious or anything like that. I just in this situation, as you can be a witness and attest to, there's a lot of deer here. Mm-hmm. So we have the ability to kind of pick and choose more than we know more than we know of. Oh, right, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Um, because everywhere you go, you pretty much jump deer um, that are you know that you didn't know were there. So we headed back. Now, let me just say this. It's 90, 93 degrees, 94, whatever. It's hot. But we also, the wind picked up. So we had about a 12, 15 mile per hour wind, which was much better for stalking. So now our hopes are up a little bit higher. And we head over to try and get on that nice four point that was on the back of San Draw. And we get into a position, and Tanner does what Tanner does, which is he he disappears up into, climbs a little height, and he loves glassing deer. He's very good at it. And comes back, and he goes, well, I got good news and bad news. Good news is I found deer. The bad news is we're gonna, I don't think we can get to him. There's too many other deer, you know. And, and I... 
they were young deer. He said, they're going to blow out, and you're not going to get to the, the buck you want. He said, I think we leave these sit, because Tanner had to leave. And you and I were already kicking around the idea of an ambush that we'd seen where these deer had come back into the pivot. We were going to try and set up there by, by that bonsai pass and a couple places, which f- from my history here on the ranch, I've, I- I've seen the deer and how they move through there, and I have a pretty good idea of what we needed to do. So we decided to make a run at those bucks at basically the second bunch that we saw that were over by the Pony Express. Mm-hmm. So that was the plan. We're going to head over and try and stock the Pony Express bucks. How are we going to do it? We get over there, and they're kind of by the creek a little bit, by the Sweet Rotter Creek, but they're back. So we go down, get the wind right, and there's kind of a low spot there. So we end up going down in the low spot. We grabbed the moo cow, the Montana decoy, Bessie moo cow, and we head out. As we get closer, I'm I'm using the, the, the natural cover, the natural undulations of the of the terrain to our advantage, but I get to a point and I see that doe that you were talking about. And she's looking at us. She's caught our movement. And she's standing up. And so I watch her. I watch her. And she's not boogered that, that much. And she wanders off a little bit and then beds. So from then on, we went ahead to hands and knees. How'd that work out? Like we were saying, it was dry out here. The grass was like were like needles. Yeah. You try and we were on our hands and knees. And I always carry a... a set of leather gloves work gloves and if i'm going to be crawling around because there's cactus here and then in dry conditions like this even the grass can be like little pin pricks on mm-hmm. your hands so i put those gloves on you didn't have them and no. you had a camera yep so i'm carrying a decoy and my bow but i got leather gloves on so i balance the bow on my back and i'm kind of shuffling anyway we get to the fence line that has a lot of cover and we know the bucks are probably 85 90 yards inside we've got the wind in our face and we're like what do we do we don't know exactly where the deer are because where they bedded again their morning bed they were not there but we assume they just got up moved around got in some more shade right in that area and with the doe still being there Gave, we also yeah. we also assume that okay bucks are still probably around here as well so we we get through the 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 barbed wire fence there's a the fence line that ran there and so we crawled underneath it trying to stay low again because the the does there and we pop up the bessie and i'm got my my bow i'm behind you basically trying to walk and step with you not worried about being quiet now because we got good wind and if they were to hear us and stand up the whole idea is oh they see this cow no big deal and maybe they bed back down whatever but it allows us to get in towards them into into bow range and we move in 
and we move in. And there's times you're taking five steps and stopping, and I'm glassing, I'm trying to look in every shadow, and and this sage is four foot high in some places. Perfect, in theory, for bedding cover for me, for these mule deer. Well, much to our surprise and chagrin, they're not there. The doe was stayed there, but we have no. To this moment, we still don't know <laughs> no. where those doe, where those bucks disappeared to. Maybe they got up and decided and traveled 200 yards. I don't know. But they never blew out. And we saw, uh, we knew where their beds were. We walked right by them, where their beds that we watched them get in this morning. But we never saw them again. So that took us two hours. Yeah, which was surprising. In the heat of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And we had zero cover. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why I use the decoy. And uh, so that evening, Tanner, we end up coming back. We drop Tanner off. He's going to get cleaned up and get his stuff and head to guide. We kind of get our stuff organized. I think we ate some lunch, whatever. We head back out. Our plan that night is to get on bonsai glass those bucks where we were going to make a plan there in Sandra and see them get up as it cooled down and come toward the pivots we have two options bonsai is that pass that we'd seen the elk go over but i've also seen mule deer do it so they're either going to go up and cut up and over that and bonsai pass is probably what did you say 200 foot 300 foot elevation it's not that high. No. Um, but it's, you know, rocks, big rocks. And there's this trail that goes through, and it's at the at the top, it's probably 20 yards wide. And you can just see it's a highway. You know, there's elk track, and there's deer track, and antelope track, and everything. I mean, all the, they use it. Or they come around the point of that. So that's, it's kind of a, 200 yard wide finger that comes off of the of the base into a big sandy draw and um so my thought on that was we're gonna glass and then as we see those bucks coming again their their end destination is going to be the pivot we know the prime forge the food they're going to either come up that way or they're going to circle and circle around the end point, and then come into the pivot. Well, I think I think it was we were either on the porch here, or no, we were, we were glassing. But remember, we saw I think eight of them. Yeah, they came eight right did, around the came end. Came right around the end, and it was I think Tanner just had to say, "Oh, there's our bucks." Yeah, that was the the first full day that we hunted. Yeah, Friday. that was that night we had gotten on a high spot to glass that night. Yeah, you're right, and that's why we knew they were coming in. Mm-hmm. So we, sure enough, we get set up, and we got we got up there about five thirty, which was a, maybe a little bit late because when we first got set up, we looked down and there was already does coming in, and it wasn't 
15 minutes long, maybe 30 minutes later, maybe around 6, and we could see a couple different groups of bucks standing up in that sage flat there in Sandra and starting to feed. But then they started to, like ants, started heading our way. Well, we had one good four-point that was coming. And I thought he was coming up towards us. And so we backed up, got in a position where we had good cover. And they were that, you know, we were going to have what? A 30 yard shot because we backed up away from the pass a little bit. So we, you know, wind was in our face. Um, and I remember you were on my left. And what'd you say? Here he comes. Now, remember all we've seen is this four point coming up and he looks like he's going to drop into little in the little uh cottonwood draw that's on that north side of of the of the little finger where bonsai pass is and then you you see velvet antlers coming well it's a much smaller buck Mm -hmm. and of course i'm not going to shoot him he's you know probably two-year-old and um, but it was cool because he did. He came up exactly the same way. So we're like, okay, that that four point's gonna he's gonna be following him. And then you look to your left. I think. What'd you tell me? Well, that four point was with the doe. We thought they were gonna come up and over too. And then we're standing there after that small that small buck makes it down into the pivots, and we're glassing back over in sand draw and then i look back over to the pivots and that doe and that four point are now on the pivots but did not come up to your bonsai pass (laughs) so they must have hit that and come around so then i said we've got to get down there so we left most of our stuff there but the camera and the bow my bow and we hustle down and it is probably you said just under a quarter of a mile just under no you, it, 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 point or, two point point like point two nine uh, on my onyx from where we were at to down there was point two nine okay uh, so what would the, uh, yeah a quarter of a mile yeah you're right sorry um but we made it in you know what four or five minutes yeah it doesn't take us long i mean we're not running but we're hustling staying off of the uh, you know off the ridge line so we're hidden coming around again the wind's good and we get in a position where i think again from my past experience people had set up little hides and little blinds you know with sage and stuff like that and i'm like i don't want to set up here because we can't shoot well i turn around i choose a location and and I said, I'm going to look over here. And so I leave, and I probably go 10 yards, and there's a doe staring at me. And she's not coming the way we thought. She's coming right up against the rocks, mm-hmm. which would have been behind us. So then we back up even further, and we barely get set up. And I happen to look around a bush. Let me, let me explain the setup so this makes sense to people. There's a big jack pine that is pretty full 
and probably 30, 25 foot tall, but it's thick. Okay, great for cover. Well, we're off to the right of it. There's a fence line that goes down and a gate. The gate is open. The deer naturally go and walk through the gate. That's going to be about a 55-yard shot for me. And I look up, and there is a buck. Now, Taylor, I set you up, and I set you up incorrectly, but you're about six yards from me Mm -hmm. to my left. I'm right. You you were closer to the fence line. Yeah. Next to a tree. And I'm against another tree, but about six yards out from the fence line. Well, I can see around this big jack pine, and there's a deer standing there looking at me. Must have caught my movement, whatever it might have been. And it's a good buck. And so I'm sitting there watching. I'm saying, there's a buck, there's a buck. And I'm looking at you. Again, now this is your first time ever being primary in a hunting situation. Talk about trial by fire. Oh, yeah. Threw you in the deep end and you did not know how to swim. But I also set you up in a position where you couldn't see what I could see. And that is a mistake that can bite you. It it is a mistake that can bite you, but I think there was a lot of learning experiences with that. Um, you know, when it, when it comes to hunting, uh, you know, one of the things that we've, t- we talked about one of the first times that when we sat down and talk about this, about me, uh, coming on the film, uh, is it's, I could be the greatest, you know, videographer, you know, and, you know, filming hunts. But if, we don't get along and we don't jive and vibe with each other. It's we're hunting partners at the same time. And that's where you and Tanner thrive. And that's, and sitting, sitting in the back seat, you know, literally, you know, for the first couple of days, it's very evident that you guys are good hunting partners. And so that was a learning experience for both of us because like you said, afterwards, if you can't see the deer, the deer can't see you. But my thought that was running through my head was, you know, deer's there. I don't want to blow this deer out for you because I moved and he caught my movement. And so there there was more than just just the filming aspect of mm-hmm. it. That you know, the communication, mm-hmm. you know, hand signals. You know, luckily I can hear you because I have you know, the headset on, you have your mic on so you can whisper and I can hear you very well. So there was, besides that buck coming in and me not move, there was, there was a, a lot of stuff going on besides are my camera settings. Correct. Right. You know, it's, you know, we have to be able to connect and understand each other and, even when we're not looking at each other, right. you know? So right. there, there was a lot going on in that situation that um, was, I, I think, a learning experience for both of us. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I'll just leave it at that and <laughs> t- you take it from there. Well, I think what 
I did is I said, are you on him? And you said, no, because you couldn't even see the deer. No. So here I am. Very slowly, I get my range finder. He's looking right at me. And then he turns his head, and I range him. Come back. Are you on him? And you said, no. Well, you haven't moved at this juncture. And I'm assuming you're going to move out till you can get on the deer. Well, the deer starts to walk up again on that heading towards that gate. And I'm like, okay, we're good. Well, the other thing that we had right in front of me that I didn't take into account was a dead tree, big dead tree stump i mean but it was 10 foot tall right Mm -hmm. with one arm that came off so uh the deer starts walking and i hear i'm on him and he's standing right behind this tree (laughs) i don't have a shot so i'm like okay we're fine i'm looking at it i'm going okay if he's on him here if he steps takes two more steps i can shoot him and you're still going to have him on film so I'm thinking, oh, we're we're good, we're good. I'm, he takes a step, and I'm just about to draw because I'm thinking he's going to take another step. And he turns around, and heads out. Not quickly though. No, he, no, he didn't. But he knew something but was. But he knew something, he knew was, something off. was off. Right. And so, of course, then I'm like, oh, man, that was a good buck. Uh, You know, all the frustrations. Not at you, but at the situation and and the the, the fact that that was, um, we were paying our dues. Meaning, you have to put in time till you can build that relationship or that unsaid communication. Um, so we get in, then we end up, I look up, I think I threw a hissy fit. I'm not sure, (laughs) you know, not at you, but at the situation. And I'm like, oh man, we should have done this. We should, it's, it's all, you always know what you should have done after, after it happens, right? Hindsight's 2020, but I look up and there's deer coming. And they're actually coming closer to us. And it's six does, a couple fawns, and two young four points. And I'm looking, and I'm frustrated. It's getting dark. And so we freeze, because now you're standing right next to me. And you freeze, and because they're probably 35 yards from us and your camera is set up to where you're pointing at them but you you, your hand i think what happened is i told you don't move there's deer so your hand was off you you're holding the camera with one but your other hand which is operates everything you know um is was on your chest i think wasn't it yeah, I was going to move. And I said, don't move. Don't move. And I basically stopped right at my, like, right where my, like, 
not my bino harness, but my harness that was carrying all batteries and everything right. like that. Your marsupial gear, yeah. your, your little Joey. Yeah, um, which is, by the way, if, if you're a camera guy and you need something that is super helpful for carrying all your batteries and stuff like that, it that's a great great option i loved um, it yeah it's it, it basically takes the place of your bino harness because if you're running a camera a lot of times you don't need I, you used your binos a lot when it was just me and you because you help you know mm -hmm. we're hunting together we literally we can't kill what we can't find and so we work together in that regard but uh, a lot of times i don't even like camera guys to carry binos because i want them to be running camera but in this situation, you're froze. I look over and I'm like, are you running? And you said, I can't move. And so I reached over with my hand and I hit the record button. And what, what it was just a matter of, we got to record it. Right. Right. And so they got a little nervous, ended up coming. They ended up coming like 20 yards from us. Sorry, you guys. Big yawn there. It's uh, almost midnight, and uh, we've had a long day. But um, so what that taught us, I think in a way, I wasn't going to shoot either one of those bucks. I could have sh shot either one of those bucks, mm -hmm. but they were too young. But what that taught us, and I think it was, again, so putting more money in the bank. Of, of our communication, of our relationship, of our us working together as a, a cameraman and, and hunter was we can get away with a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so you were adjusting your settings. It was getting dark. You were adjusting your settings. Yeah, it worked out good. And then, of course, they ended up going away. But it was too dark anyway. And we had that even after that heartbreaking, in a way, heartbreaking uh, miss opportunity we still came close and then we had another opportunity which i could have killed either one of those deer and uh, but we got a chance to see what can we get away with so that ended yesterday and this morning our plan was let's find the elk let's kill the elk so we went, and I think I didn't. I don't know that I knew exactly where the elk were, because when I got up this morning, I could not hear them. Which the morning before we could hear them right off the porch. Mm -hmm. I couldn't hear them. So we went over to Vulture's Knob, and right away we found them. They had come around again, got in the pivots, and they were working up to this real rocky drainage and so we spent the morning which was really cool watching 120 elk act like mountain goats because they went up some country that if you wouldn't if you would have told me a herd of 120 elk are going to go up there i would have told you there's no way they're getting up there it was incredible yeah it was really neat but the problem that came with that was we didn't know where they were going to end up. So there were, they had a lot of different um, paths 
that they, they could, could go. And and we finally just lost sight of them because of the different rock bluffs and stuff like that. And they took a path. How do you lose? How do you look at a rock? What looks like a rock face and lose 120 elk? Well, I can tell you, we did it this morning. <laughs> And so then we actually came back. We looked at our Onyx map. I actually pulled up Google Earth so I could get that 3D. Turns out on the backside, there's a pretty good draw, and it runs two different ways. So they could have gone to a place called Beaten Pocket, or they could have gone into Magpie, which was above Sand Draw. All of these names mean nothing to people. I understand that's <laughs> listening. But understand, we're trying to figure out, okay, do we come back? And then from, you know, our glassing point and then hook around and then hoof it up there and try and find them. And then, I mean, if you get into a pocket and there's 120 elk, you're going to see one of them, Mm. you would think. So I called Q, who is actually guiding a bear hunt in in Meeker right now. He's got some, or he had some guys um, that he was guiding. Nether yawn. Sorry about that, people. Please forgive me. Um, I wanted to pick his brain because he knows this country like the back of his hand. And uh, he said, Trevin, they, they could go one or two ways. It was suggested that we go up there and hike up there and try and find him. My problem with that was we knew where there were some deer there. And we were afraid that if we went around and we hiked up there, we would waste a whole day and it was our last day really today mm-hmm. was our last day um I mean, we could we could hunt tomorrow morning but we got a storm moving in so we're actually gonna head out in the morning after we take some pictures and stuff uh, which we'll get to in a second um and we made the decision to make our last evening the best it could possibly be which was to correct the problem that we had the night before knowing those deer like to come around that point we were going to go in there and correct that so what we did is we went heat of the day and again today it was 93 good wind though we had a northwest wind pretty consistent and we went and we got back from where that trail that those deer are taking but we moved up onto the next little ledge so we could see more but we were going to be completely in the open so we went and i took my little hooey man saw that i always carry and we cut a bunch of cedar branches i think you took down one one small cedar yeah i did and we piled them up about three foot tall to where you had a kind of a little place where you could film everything I could see, maybe even more than I could see. My shooting angles were really wide. I had uh, anywhere from 53 yards to when they were right in front of us. It was going to be about 35. There was another trail that was about 53 right in front of us. And then as they walked, it make a long story short, I had a lot of opportunities, and that's what we wanted. And you could film every one of them. So we also went back up to Bonsai. We kind of did a similar thing where we could stand 
and when they if they were going to come up that way as they came through we'd have a cording away shot and that was also planned for if we were correct with where the elk went and they were going to be coming back to the pivots at night that we also had kind of a hide or a blind in case that the elk, the elk were coming back as well. Right, because we'd seen the elk go over the other morning, so we knew they were using that. Yeah. And being up on Bonsai, on the Bonsai Pass, the reason we call it Bonsai, by the way, is there's a tree up there that looks like a Bonsai tree. Okay, so if people are wondering why we're making up these names, we're <laughs> making them up because they make sense. But... That also put us at a position where we could glass. We could glass to where the elk would be coming from or coming to us from where we thought they were from this morning. And we could glass across Sandra as these bucks started to come back like they did the night before. But if they did and they came in instead of coming up Bonsai Pass, they hooked around, we could do exactly the same thing. We could bail off, come around to our new little hidey hole that we built. And we even got up there about an hour earlier. And we found some deer, and they stayed bedded late. I was blown away. It The sun had set behind Split Rock, and we were about an hour before dark. And the the night before, those bucks were already moving our way. They were still bedded. There were some that got up and started then feeding and bedded, bedded back. again. Yeah. So we um, were like, well, we'll, we'll just wait. And we saw a few little does, a couple does that, and a little buck, if I remember correctly, did come up. And we watched him hook around the, the you know, toward the other uh, point where we had that other blind by the gate. And um, but uh, we weren't gonna move over there because of that little buck. I wasn't gonna shoot him, so we we waited till we saw these bigger bucks, these more mature deer that we, that I would shoot. Started working our way. Well, they weren't doing it like they did last night, so we finally just kind of looked at each other, and I think you said, "I don't see those deer coming up bonsai." You, I think you said, I, I think they're going to hook around. And I said, man, I agree with you. We grabbed our stuff, made it executive decision, and we headed around. So now we're, we climb in. We get into our little hidey hole that we built that afternoon. And we see a doe. And the doe steps out, and she looks right at us. But. I guess we did a good enough job because she kept walking. And then a little buck, a two-year-old four-point. Again, not going to shoot it. I even On the video, I think I even said, oh, I'm not shooting that deer. That deer's too young. And then another deer, another buck comes up behind him. And I said, oh, but I will shoot that buck. And this is a deer we had never seen before. He is... He was in velvet, um, nice, four-point four, four frame, but he had two extra kickers on the left and one extra kicker on the right. So he's a unique, cool-looking deer. Mm-hmm. He's got some extra stuff. And he 
was following. Well, I see that deer, and of course I said, I'll shoot that deer. Well, there was a little cedar bough that had some needles and stuff on it, and I could see him on the left where you were filming out of, and then that I had was planning on using that to draw if I needed to, and I was crouched down too, but yet when I came up, I could get up on my knees because I'm, I'm sitting on my knees. I could raise up, and I'd be over the the cedar blind that we'd built. I mean, it wasn't like huge. Um, it was just enough to, to, to give us good cover, and I don't know what happened in my mind, but by the time the little buck follows the doe, and then so I see the doe come out on my side, and then the little buck, and again I say, I just, I'm not shooting that buck. And then the bigger buck, which I had just said, oh, I'll shoot that buck. I, it's like in that time I forgot that that buck was right behind that <laughs> other one. But it, it, he comes up, and they stop, and they catch some movement. I'm sure they caught some movement, maybe the camera panning over. But you did have a shirt wrapped around it. You had a, a camouflage shirt, um, that subalpine shirt that uh, from Sitka that uh, Tanner, Tanner left. left. Um, you'd wrapped it around the lens. And so that helped, I'm sure, with some cover. And then, of course, that's blocking you. So you're pretty hidden where I am. have this cam sticking up, and, and you know, but I'm behind it. And... They're not spooked enough to where they even did anything but paused. So I drew very slowly, low, crouched low, came to full draw, and came up, fully extended, and he stopped. And I was very fortunate because he stopped, and there was no deer behind him. You know, He stopped in, to where the, the, the other deer that was behind him um, stopped too. So I had a good pretty much broadside shot and settled that he was 35 yards i had already ranged the doe that was walking that same path so i knew it was 35 yards and i settled that pin right on the not quite on the point of the shoulder just behind it but when i shot he did react a little bit and he ducked into it so i caught him in the shoulder but i'm shooting the bow i'm shooting is set up for moose because I drew that moose tag this year. So it's a 70-pound Hoyt RX4 Turbo, okay? But I'm shooting a 510-grain arrow. So it's got some oomph behind it. And um, and I just crushed that shoulder. And it went all the way. It, it, went, all, it went buried to the fletch going through on the front side shoulder and partially the back side. Yeah. It was actually perfect on the back side because he when he when he when he ducked at the shot a little bit, kind of turned, kinda to, turned to me a little bit. So I crushed that offside sh- or the near side shoulder and it, it went just in the arm out the armpit in the offside and as you as he's running away, you can see my fletch is the only thing that kept it from going all the way through and uh it's pretty cool to see that nocturnal berry right where you want it and he just makes a dad a mad dash and uh what did he go 60 yards 
Something like that, yeah. Probably, probably about 60 yards. Of course, you know, we're excited, and it's getting dark now. It's starting to get dark. So I'm like, okay, we should – I don't think he – I'm pretty sure he's down. I said, but let's go – because I saw my nocturnal, and then I saw it fall out. I said, let's go look at my arrow before we get on the, you know, try and get on the blood. I didn't I didn't want to go if it was not as good a shot as I thought. I didn't want to go and get on his blood trail and him jump what? up and run off. Yeah. So um, we go and f- I find the arrow. And the arrow, or I, I find the back uh, eight inches of the yeah. arrow. It's broke. And... I it, there's blood all the way to the fletch, so I'm like, eh, yeah, he's he's done, and I never saw him come out. He had dropped into this little arroyo, and I never saw him come out. So I'll, I walk down there, and then I'm just like, he's dead, and I go down, and I drop all the way in the bottom, and I go up, and there's a fence, and I know he's not going to jump the fence. So we come back, and that's when you saw that blood on that cow pie. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, man. So we marked that, just that location in case we had to come back in the morning and get on blood. But I end up walking up. I just start kind of looking around, looking for for tracks because it's so – the. I can't even explain how dry the, the the ground is. I mean, any bit of blood is just gonna disappear, mm-hmm. and it's getting dark. Yeah. And our packs are back up on top of the mountains with our head headlamps. So we go up a little bit further, and then I think you, I'm walking head down looking for blood, and you're like, "Hey, Trev, he's right here," and sure enough, he's piled up right there. And he was a better buck than I thought. You know, sometimes you have ground shrink- shrinkage. <laughs> I didn't have any ground shrinkage with him. He was—he's a good buck. He was big. Yeah, yeah. he was—he was big, um, and and we hadn't seen him. No, we had never seen him. Matter of fact, I talked to Q and Neil later th- when we got back to camp on the phone, and both of them said, "Have you seen that deer before?" And I said, no, I haven't. They said, well, we haven't seen him either. Because they've been here for a couple of weeks prior to this looking at deer. And, and and so he's like, that's a great deer. I said, I have no idea where he came from. Um, but that's what you deal with when in this country. You're, you know, that buck very, very likely could be a buck that comes in right at last light and leaves before first light. And so... Unless you go back there and you happen to see him up feeding around, you don't you don't know. And that, and that's where it was a, a good choice on our part not to go. You know, Walking looking around f- looking for elk right. because we could have blown him out, he, and he, we could have blown out any opportunity that because we could have they could have pushed over across and draw, pushed those bucks. Right. Pushed him even further, and we would never would have even had that opportunity later on. Yeah, I think it was a wise move, looking back, that we didn't. I mean, again, I I tend to be more aggressive, 
but in this situation being a little bit more passive worked out better because we we played the high percentage play which was give ourselves an opportunity our opportunity came in the fact that we had a place set up we knew where to get to and we knew we we could we could we could be hidden mm. and get and get a, get a good shot off um and we didn't go chasing elk because chances are we go in there we blow the elk out we blow the deer out we didn't do any of that so yeah it worked out good i'm i'm pleased i'm very happy um i'm i'm actually kind of a little bit blown away that it that you know the old last day you hear about it all the time oh last day and we killed this buck and whatever well that's what happened mm-hmm. and so now we're gonna get some sleep we'll get up in the morning we're gonna go we packed him full ice we gutted him of course we packed him full ice it's gonna be cool enough tonight and then it's actually gonna be cooling off quite a bit tomorrow but we're gonna go get some really good photos with you know that that beautiful soft light in the morning and then uh and then we'll bring him back i'll break him down and we got a cooler ready to rock and roll Mm -hmm. and then uh we'll head home but beat this storm yeah so so last words tell us here you have first hunt what are your thoughts what are what's what sticks with you what 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 words of wisdom would you share with somebody who's doing this uh, you know, and this is a little different than the old YouTube. Hey, I'm going to put this up on YouTube. I got this handy cam in my iPhone, and I'm going to go and my GoPro, and we're going to go film a hunt. It's a little bit different production. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, with the pressure, um, <clears throat> you know that's gonna that's gonna pass in time uh, to an extent. I mean, there's always going to be pressure uh, to make sure you have the shot, make sure you're in focus. <laughs> Number one. Um, but uh be humble and be uh be open to learn um this uh this weekend uh you know i started started uh started the trip with a gu unfiltered shirt his new one that w- that he has in the back one of his words epical mm-hmm. this and lukeism yeah lukeism this weekend was definitely epical in all facets for sure um and but i like learning it's tough i mean it i mean there that missed opportunity uh last night i mean we came back and you know, i was apologizing because I, I you know i i wanted you to succeed right it's tough you know it's uh so being humble uh being open to learn and when you make a mistake you learn from it and you'd be better the next time and being being teachable you and i feel that you really have been like a sponge i felt like you've soaked it up and um you, we never stop learning no I mean, I, 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 that's one thing I'm convinced about. 
as hunters, as people, we never stop learning. And tonight, you go away, at least I go away with the idea that, look, you hunt as hard the first day, you hunt as hard the last day. And it only takes 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, what might have just been a pretty fun camping trip i was think i was joking about that of course we're this would be more like glamping yeah because this is a nice lodge um but this hunt turns into i I don't want to say it turns into a success because it was already a success just being out here being together enjoying it we were talking about that earlier that's what it is for me now is being here Mm-hmm. just being a soaking every moment moment up but what i do know is that it sure feels good to get one in the back of the truck you know <laughs> oh, the, for you sure know, it, it sure feels good to, ha- to to walk up on one and he's stone cold dead you ran a wasp jack knife right <laughs> through the old shoulders and you know i mean and he doesn't go far so it, th- that's icing on the cake um for me we have a we have a show to produce and the uh, the opportunities we had that didn't go like they were like planned, where we blew a bu- the bucks out, the other bucks were freaking Houdini, right? And then here we are, and we've got a the best buck of any of the bucks we saw this weekend. It's just, it's truly a success. I mean, it's I'm I'm flabbergasted. It's it's awesome. So, and I'm glad you got to, I'm glad this was your first one because first of all, it's a unique place, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's amazing. We got to start, we got to see if we can get Luke on this hunt next year. It's amazing. And it's an experience that I could tell you about, but until you see, you know, you and I were, here's a great example. You and I were sitting on the back porch waiting to go out this evening and we're sitting there, and we're talking about how to judge antelope, and we're both glassing 35 bucks, and we're judging which one's the best from the back porch. It's just a unique place. And um, the memories I have here are special because I've hunted here so much. My daughter killed her first deer here. you know. So every time I'm here... I'm just wanting to soak it up, and I keep thinking, you know, there'll be a there'll be a year I don't kill something. And I understand, I'm not coming and spending a week here. I come and spend three days. I mean, that's we're on our third day now, mm-hmm. and we got to head home tomorrow. And it's just been every time. It's just incredible, incredible experience. And it's got a th- shout out to Quentin Smith, QRS Outdoor Specialties. They do a great job here Mm -hmm. and that's who we're hunting with on the split rock um that's who i've hunted with in in meeker on his property there um you know it's a company that understands how to take care of people how to enhance the adventure and um and an adventure is more than just the killing it's the people you share it with it's the topography it's the geography it's the landscape it's the sunsets it's it's the sunrises and that's that's where we are here Mm -hmm. so it's fun it's fun it's great and this is the first 
We've got Moose coming up, and that's going to be a heck of an adventure. You have, what, less than – you're going out in, what, five days? Well, uh, it's actually the 7th now. We started, oh, yeah. the, we started the podcast. It was September 6th. Yeah. It's now September 7th, and uh, the hunt starts the 12th. We're going out the 10th to set up camp um, and start – scouting a little bit we have already been scouting but to try and 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 actually put a finger on the the bull the bull that we want mm-hmm. so but well dude i'm ready for bed as am i yeah it's, it was, been, it's been a long day and it's been a fun fun couple of days i'm glad you were here i can't wait to, for the next adventure to share with you and for you those of you listening uh we want to invite you to you know give us a like give us a follow um check out our instagram page outback outdoors same thing with facebook what's your instagram uh the nelson perspective on uh ig do you do facebook um just taylor taylor j nelson but you don't do Most, much. Yeah. No, not much on Facebook. Okay. Anything that I put on Instagram goes to uh, goes to my Facebook, but mainly just on Instagram. Okay. Well, give him a follow. Um, you're going to hear more from him, I'm sure, in the future. And uh, we're going to call it a night. You guys, as always, I want to encourage you to go out and find that special place, that special experience, that that, that wild place that, that – set you uh on that path to fulfillment i can't even say the word i'm so tired and and embrace it uh find your wild place go out whether it's your back 40 of your uncle's you know farm in the midwest whatever embrace it god bless and we'll see you down the trail